Hey listeners, if you're like me and never read the show notes, this episode is going to be a little bit different. We've recorded a couple episodes in advance in case we have to be uh, away for work or if a guest cancels on us, and we're going to release these either as bonus episodes or in cases where we're missing an episode we otherwise would normally put out. We're going to call these Cyborg. We're going to not give them episode numbers. We're going to use completely different introduction music to make it really clear this is not the standard Dead Wargamers podcast format, but it's still Chris and I. We're still talking about stuff about games, but it may not be as focused on a single dead game. This time we're talking to a community leader, Seppi Yoon, who is a really popular fixture amongst the U.S. convention circuit. We thought it'd be fun to talk to him about his experience playing war games and playing with war gamers when he's more of a board game enthusiast. Hope you enjoy it. Post Anvil, can I say four-letter words? <laughs> yes, in the Post Anvil you Game! Card! <laughs> no, that's not... I'm stuck in family-friendly mode. Hi, listeners. Uh, this is a, another one of our sideboard episodes. Or I don't know if I should say another one of these. I'm actually not sure which of these is going to come out first. But uh, this is a format where we don't talk about a uh, specific dead game. It tends to be more kind of meta dead game stuff or community-driven items. We're going to be releasing these either as bonus episodes or if we end up in a situation where our schedules get really compacted and and or a guest cancels on us, we might uh, put one of these up on our usual time just to make sure we're maintaining our every other week schedule. So uh, this one might be a little bit loose. Um, Chris, why don't you go through what we're talking about this week? So uh, this is actually going to be the first in our series on community leaders and building a community, as well as uh, some other fun stuff to do at conventions other than wargaming. Uh, we are super excited, or at least I am. Um, <laughs> we have a special guest, which is Seppi Yoon. Uh, Seppi is the owner of Fight in a Box Games. If you go to conventions, um, especially Captain Con, Adepticon, um, and a few others, I believe Warfare Weekend, used to be War Machine Weekend, Seppi is usually there running board games and what we like to call backpack games. And typically, <laughs> you've either been kind of shanghaied into a demo game with him while you've been in the vendor area or you uh are wandering around after a tournament and you find your way into a table with somebody very energetic kind of bouncing around and uh explaining this game to you and that's uh that's seppi seppi uh has several games under his belt right now um including end of the line uh squirrel or die hedgehog hop uh processing and i believe it was mass mouse cat Cucumber, um, which just came out of Kickstarter. Wrong! Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mouse, cheese, cat, cucumber, Chris. Mouse, cheese, cat, cucumber. It is literally the most literal game name in the history of game names. Mouse, cheese. Okay, so I I was being a little bit more friendly to our lactose intolerant (laughs) listeners. (laughs) But anyway, it's super excited to have you on board, Seppi. Yes, um, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be at, at, here at the Dead War Gamer Society. See how I got your name right? <laughs> well, l- l- let me just speak for both of us when I say th- that excitement is coming through loud and clear. 
probably too hot. I, I, I'm probably a little too hot today, Mike. I will, no, I will bring my levels down. Bring my levels down. No, man, keep it hot. We uh, All right. We, we, we like it hot. Uh, <laughs> so, Seppi, which games are you typically running at conventions? Well, let's see. Um, if it's uh, Warfare Weekend, I used to, when we first had Squirrel or Die come out, I handmade the original 1200 run of those. Uh, by handmade, I used to, I put them in Nigel from Muson's uh, laser machine and then scrubbed the fire off. And then I, I sold those by hand. So that was like my first exposure to the wargaming audience was handcrafted short run board games. Uh, from then I went to Captain Con where a lot of you might know me. And then I started running uh, end of the line before it ended up getting kickstarted. And that was a great success. Captain Con is just such a good convention. Uh, otherwise I am running like side games and, and other of our games for people at, uh, I don't know, miniatures conventions and big conventions who are looking for something else or something different. Very cool. So I know you mentioned a bunch of conventions right there. Do you have a favorite U.S. convention right now? Um, probably by category. My favorite small con has to be Captain Con. Those guys are so good to me, and they have been every year. I love it so much. I feel like, you know, my con family there is extra close and extra big. It's pretty fantastic. My favorite local con is probably Con of the North um, here in the Twin Cities. Uh, large con, probably either Origins or Unplugged. Gen Con, uh, I like to say God made Gen Con to test the faithful. <laughs> something you do it's not something you necessarily enjoy <laughs> oh come on you don't like spending like two grand to get you know one fourteenth of a hotel room in downtown Indy yeah that's not that as much but uh, like the lottery is big there's so many people it's so expensive it's such high pressure right if you're in the vending hall it's like you've got 10 minutes with somebody, you'll never see them again. Mm -hmm. Where if I'm at a Captain Con, oh, you're coming back around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have an advantage. If you've ever heard me at one of the big conventions, I'm one of the few convention uh, attendees that you can hear five rows over to the left or right in the massive hall that is Gen Con. I am gifted with volume. So in terms of uh, PAX uh, Unplugged relative to Origins, I know that uh, PAX Unplugged was a little bit tricky for a lot of war game companies. Is that a little bit easier on uh, just straight up board games? What I like about Unplugged is it is sort of gaming adjacent for like Adepticon is amazing convention for us. And we love Adepticon so much. And But those are gamers through and through. Now, Unplugged has people who are like console gamers and computer gamers who also might like board games, right? And that is one step removed from where we normally are, right? So it, it's good for backpack games. It's good for uh, muggles who are waiting for their ticket to Hogwarts, where <laughs> an Adepticon, like, I can go and I say, hey, end of line, is a, it's a big, heavy green box. 
they're like, how much is it? And I'm like, it's $50. And they're like, they look at their bag filled with tiny miniatures that all cost more than my bot, my, my big board game. And they're like, oh, just throw it in the bag. Just, just throw it in the bag. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. So that's, that's really good. Uh, Unplugged, it's also structureless, which makes it massively different. Like wander into whatever you want. All the entertainment, the demos, and everything else is sort of come as you are. That creates a very different environment. My only complaint is that everything in Philly shuts down by eight o'clock, uh, which is a little insane. So, uh, relative to PAX Unplugged, what would you say about Origins? I've I've never actually been, which is weird because now I'm in Columbus. I probably really should go this year, uh, but. I, I've heard it's kind of more of an industry-focused convention. Has that been your experience? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a lot of industry stuff happens in a good way there. But it's sort of got all the best features of a, uh, of a mega con with a lot of the, the good features of a small con. It's also the only five-day convention. Like, it starts on Wednesday and goes through Sunday. One of the things I love about Origins, not this year, but normally, Origins, everything... Uh, that I'm about to list happens Origins Weekend, Father's Day, Columbus Pride, Free RPG Day, and Origins. I have a 100% sell rate to all the guys who are there for all those reasons. Like those six dudes, <laughs> I'll buy all my games. <laughs> well, it's it's good to have a uh, a very well described demographic. So that that yeah, that yeah, is absolutely. Awesome. Oh gosh, I love this guy so much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, th- this is probably a little bit weird for us in some ways because normally we're talking to people that are like really deep into running or having having previously run war game companies, and you're more of a, a board game guy. So I'm a little bit curious: uh, are war gamers also board gamers? Like, w- what's the overlap between those two groups? All right, there's two things. Um, the Muse On folks, and that's how also I met Chris, I got to spend a lot of time on them. The Muse On Minis folks really brought me along. Like Nigel was a partner in Fight in a Box at, at the beginning in, in 2013. And so that's how I ended up uh, getting adopted by the miniatures audience, uh, miniature war games audience. And I love those guys. Like they're, they're family for me. Now, it, it is fundamentally different. I believe war gamers... Uh, to have an entirely different sort of perspective on gaming because uh, wargaming is part art. It's part like tactical strategy, working on these. It's part dedication and it's also massive amounts of financial investment, right? So you have a couple of things that have tried to, you know, jump over to that audience. And there's a lot of like, dungeon crawl board games with fantastic miniatures for a reason, right? Have you played Kingdom Death Monster, Owen? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, you, you'll, you'll laugh <laughs> if you ever meet me because I would, I would bet you there's like a 90% chance I'll be wearing one of my 12 Kingdom Death shirts. Yes, like Kingdom Death is like a serious, like I tell people like, did you drop $1,700 on it so you could get all the things? They're like, what? <laughs> i'm like that black box that's 500 retail what yep. i'm like uh yeah so those uh try to appeal to a miniatures audience and also things like uh cthulhu wars try mm-hmm. to 
these are instances where people are making fantastic miniatures and then somebody ended up realizing uh, people would buy more fantastic miniatures if you put a game to it and even more fantastic miniatures if you put a good game to it. Yep. Right? So that's sort of the how they made that happen. Like, I'm going to sculpt this really weird stuff. Yes, this griffin's got weird body parts and that arm coming out of sphincter, don't worry about that. That's That's not a big deal. <laughs> So does that answer sort of the crossover? There is a continuum, particularly through like the Kickstarter audiences, you know, and CMON or Come On or however you want to play that call them, have really sort of fostered that. Like, oh, is it a miniatures game? Is it a board game? You know, are you an adult? Can you collect toys? Is it okay for you to play with toys? Oh, it's a board game. Go ahead and play with toys. Like <laughs> miniature people are like so beyond that. Of course it's a toy, but it's also a toy that is art. I was going to say, from my experience at, at a lot of conventions, it, it, it almost comes up that almost every mini wargamer I know is open to playing board games, like without a doubt. I, you know, like I've seen some that are, you know, like, well, I mainly want to play mini games, but I've never seen anyone being like hardcore. No, <laughs> like <laughs> not going to do this. <laughs> uh, on the other end, you know, uh, some board gamers, a lot of board gamers aren't going to make that jump into mini wargaming, you know, like the... Uh, Maybe painting up some zombicide or, you know, uh, some rum and bones might be the, the furthest they kind of like dip into that, which is kind of an interesting, interesting dynamic. And I see it a lot in the way that Seppi runs things in between tournaments. You know, like I see a lot of, war, you know, especially at like Warfare Weekend, um, I see a ton of War Machine gamers who have just played a four round, five round tournament, like completely burnt out on math, like can't read dice. And Seppi's like, yeah, let's uh, vote on how to turn hipsters and cows into food or or probe Meat. them or set them free. Meat. Um, and <laughs> everyone's, you know, like, I don't see anyone be like, no, like, I'm not going to do this. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, Like, I don't need to take out my tape measure. I don't need to do these other things. I can sit here, drink beer and, you know, relax with friends. Um, And it's uh, that's pretty neat. No, no, it's it's great. Uh, I think you're right. I think uh, miniature games is one of the reasons I love them. Are open to uh, more games, right? There, you know, for conventions, you always see people like excited about party games, excited about quick games, uh, you know, social games. All those are in it. Now, one of the reasons there is to uh, get to the point that Chris was talking about why board gamers don't jump to miniature games is because uh, Euro games are not direct competition situations. Yep. Like, it typically is coming from the German board game model, which is non-confrontation, after World War II and everybody realizing that their grandparent in Germany might not have been a good person, uh, there's a whole social upheaval that these board games actually originate from. Uh, and it is, I'm going to do the best I can and that's how I'm going to win. I'm gonna, not going to keep you down or repress you to make it happen because I think that's wrong. And that is sort of at the core of Euro games. I'm going to outgame the game and that's how I get ahead. Does that make sense? Now, where, where a miniature game is usually direct competition. Yeah, no, that makes, uh, that makes sense. It, it's interesting to me to kind of like pivot on Chris's point. I know a lot of mini gamers and I've never been to a convention where I finished a tournament and someone said, Hey, that was great. You know what we should do now though? 
we should play Zombicide or some other mini heavy board game. It's always, hey, let's play Werewolf. Hey, let's play the, this party game where we roll dice and have fun and don't think too hard. It's it, it's almost like, I, I think kind of getting at what you're trying to get at, it's complimentary. It's not a, um, it, it, it's not really scratching the same itch. No, yeah. And you'll want to like, normally you don't want to talk to your opponent in like a war machine game, right? Other than you're just telling them what's happening, right? <laughs> um, there's not, there's not a lot of like, if you're in the senior tournament, you get to have some more camaraderie, but like if you're, if you have like gone through the the competition, there there's less chatter and more sort of function, if that makes sense. Or at least I'm uh, it, 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 it depends what round. Yeah, <laughs> it, it depends on the person. Um, I I do feel like that's that's the popular way of doing things. But as anyone who can play against me can attest, that's that's typically not how I'm doing. Like it's it's usually I'm continuously talking, and someone's eventually like, "Hey, can you like shut up?" You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's like it's just, I'm like, "Oh no, like dude, you know, like I like your models. Like the paint job's really cool. What'd you use to shut up, man?" Like <laughs> I'm doing mad. I'm doing mad. I'm planning my run. So that's a little bit of it too. Like how people fit in, like what will make them feel complete. Like social games end up being the thing sort of after cons or things where people are, again, interacting with each other in different ways. It's not necessarily one-on-one. It's, uh, you know, sort of group madness and that kind of stuff. I, I still feel like there's a place for... Uh, more group miniature games and uh, you don't get into the too many of them you know especially here on uh, dead war games uh, what is that like Roman-esque where you're running around on monsters in uh, in a sort of giant arena oh is you talking about arena Rex is it arena X no I'm talking about uh, the old school one where you're on a chariot pulled by a monster oh boy uh, there are a few of them, yeah. <laughs> and I think somebody—I think somebody's going to end up finding a, like a group miniature game. Like if you've gotten a chance to play uh, Jeff Tidbull's Grav Strike, that's mm-hmm. everybody pilots a solo tank. Okay. Uh, BattleTech tried to do that, obviously, but then everybody realizes they're sitting down for eight hours for one battle, right? Um, <laughs> so, like one tank going through the race course, doing a Death Race 2000. That's that game. Um, I'm sure that's going to come out sooner or later. I would look for that. But yeah, there are a couple of other like group miniature games. And so what people are looking for at these conventions after all these one-on-one or two-on-two tournaments end up being like sort of large social situations. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because kind of going into trends in the gaming community, there's a bunch of minis games that have come out over the past couple of years that actually include like a multiplayer component that is not an afterthought, you know, because for a while, like War Machine would have some alt formats like War Machine had that Thunderdome format where each player would kind of put in a cast, you know, three casters, sorry. Um, and you'd have four to six people at a table and they'd all play, but it wasn't how the game was designed. Um, nowadays, um, with the release of uh, Riot Quest and uh, Aristea's Primetime expansion, the games are uh, meant to scale up for anywhere between two and four players. And it's still it's not just a two people com- uh, playing one army. It's not necessarily teams. It can be four, uh, four players actually playing this out, but it's still a minis game, um, which is a uh, it's kind of an interesting kind of crossover between the two. Yeah, it's exciting. 
Every model counting is just sort of a central quality for miniature games, right? Even if it's like a whole unit, like every unit counts and so forth and whatnot. Um, and that invariably makes it take you longer from a sort of a design perspective. It, you know, these games, yeah. And uh, people try to do a lot of things with how initiative works, try to make it happen, to mix it up how many of the miniatures you need to have on to make it feel like you still have a team and you 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 strategize to make your points but you're still sort of uh, not overwhelmed by the number of things that you have to play um which then slows it all down number of decision gates you know it's, it's very exciting i i, I think You'll see more there, particularly from the people that are looking to differentiate themselves with skirmish games. A lot of them have like towed into that. You know, Eden had a three to four player expansion series where it was different scenarios that were designed to speed things up for that kind of play. Because I think you hit the nail on the head. The biggest concern is how do you take a game that is a what's kind of industry average normal play time for a miniatures game for two players and turn that into something that doesn't take an entire afternoon or day for three to four players. Well, one of the things I love about miniature games is that it has like a reasonable time uh, frame for something that is intricate and deep. And, you know, you painted these miniatures, you bought them, right? They should be on the table for a couple hours. That only does them justice, right? (laughs) (laughs) Where if you have a board game now, it's a hard sell for people at 45 minutes, right? That game must be fantastic if it's gonna be like an hour and a half, right? But the expectation for something light is it's gonna be 30 minute game. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that time constraint is going down as games are improving. Like I want it to be more approachable. I want it to have deeper replayability simultaneously. uh, I want it to have that wow table factor. And yeah, I want it to play the entire thing in 30 minutes. Oh, I don't care if it costs $300 for the deluxe version. Hook me up. (laughs) (laughs) That is like the gameplay, like the game design and the component design is so rigorous, right? And, but simultaneously they want sleeker play. Uh, Yeah, no, it's a thing. So, I mean, you're a guy that's deep into it. And I know you've been going at this for a while. If Chris met you at the last Temple Con, I mean, that's, that's pushing on what, a decade? Um... You know, like, like, what do you see as big trends or, um, I'll I'll focus the question a little bit more, actually. What do you see as exciting things in new games coming out for board games or miniature games? And do you think there's an opportunity for war games to pick up some mechanics from board games? Oh, I definitely think that's going to happen. There has been so many people trying to make the dungeon crawl game happen, right? Because there's so many crossovers from computer games and you can sell a lot of miniatures. Like a board game that has a lot of stuff in it justifies its cost. People don't want to pay for game design. They want to pay for components, unfortunately. Um, Mouse Cheese Cat Cucumber is the most overproduced $13 game in the history of $13 games. It has five game modes for a $13 game. It has five game modes, okay? It's actually, one of them is, it's actually a puzzle, okay? So, and if you, oh, the uh, late backing for the Kickstarter ends end of May. If you get that now, you also get the micro RPG, which also then uses the same components from the game as a mechanic for the micro RPG. So there could be an argument that it's played in six games, right? So. 
that that's like two a little over two dollars a game mode. That's uh that's pretty impressive. And the art is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so you're gonna see a couple of different things happen um, as people shake it out, right? You're going to see people doing it better. Far as the games that are inspire are inspiring people now, people are gonna do another version of that um, with that theme, like. Polyominoes are pretty hot right now. You know, it was deck building. It was everything that was in a sack. It was legacy. So as far as a trend goes for miniature games, like things that I see that they'll pick up, uh, there are probably some interesting dice mechanics. I think people are going to, the first one that we're going to see is people playing dice and they go down and people picking up dice and it having an effect. So imagine if you have your Warcaster, and you have, you know, putting on focus and pu uh, pulling off focus have two different mechanics associated with them. And then imagine that instead of it being just uh, a chit, it's going to be a die that then does something, inspires different things. I think that, like, that worker placement mechanic, I think is going to find its, uh, its way into a, a, board, a board game pretty quickly. So the resetting of a thing is, uh, it has a different set of actions as to the dropping of a thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, um, the A Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game actually has a version of that. They have, like, a non-combat character because, you know, it's based on George R. R. Martin's books. You probably don't want to have Tyrion Lannister leading your frontline army, but he's really good at politics. Magic isn't really a big thing in that setting, so uh, they have little, you know, workers you can buy then place them on a board, and where you place them does special stuff. Right, and then the... the other mechanic is when you pick them up from that special board, they have a different effect. And probably activations is going to be another way. Like, let's say I activated my wizard, which means you cannot activate your wizard until I take my uh, my wizard token off. Uh, okay, got it. Got right? It. Yeah. And then uh, me lifting my wizard token means that I get to do something else. I think that back and forth mechanic is going to find itself into one of these games. And it's probably going to find itself into one of these dungeon crawl games first. Okay. That's probably a decent prediction, considering uh, where board games are going right now. Interesting. Yeah. So I would look to that if your fellow game designers, uh, miniature gamers would love that. It would blow their mind. <laughs> my, my mind's already blown just just talking about it. So I'm, I'm down. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I got, I've got one more question, then I'll let Chris step up here for a second. We've asked a lot of other people we've had on about the impact of 3D printing on the industry, because I do see that as starting to have some disruption potential in the minis market, specifically you know, being able to move back to like a FASA model where you just put out these gigantic bespoke rule sets like Battletech and somebody else makes the minis for you. They'll, they'll figure it out. We, we've been calling that minis agnostic for a while. Is there an equivalent sort of thing happening on the board game side? Like what, what's that doing to component design? A couple of things. It, it's making prototype really nice and easy. Nice. You can get something. When you design games, it's really important for playtesting reasons to have the people who are playtesting have the fewest moments of pause. If something distracts them from the game or the strategy because the component doesn't look good or the board doesn't look good or whatever, it doesn't look the way they need to, asking them to suspend their uh, disbelief and imagining it, they can do it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to reduce the quality of your playtest. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, you know, I've sat down and playtest with somebody who had their entire game board scribbled on a giant 
poster board and then gave me three by five cards that are handwritten. Yeah. I've seen that. I've played through it so far, the whatnot. Um, and then they have little post-its they've attached to some and tapes to change the rules and all this kind of stuff. I think the era of that is going away. Every time I go to a protospool or spiel or unpub, all the quality of these things is going through the roof. And as somebody who's been doing this since 2013, it's frightening. Like, uh, new people getting to it and trying it and so forth and whatnot. As far as rules go, print and play has been a thing for a while. But these games that end up being big successes generally have large media campaigns attached to it. A large mm -hmm. media campaign needs people who are who can pay X, per, uh, X dollar per backer, right? Okay. And so... To do that, you have to have certain level of production values because that means, oh, uh, the average person on your Kickstarter is going to spend, you know, $120, right? If it's like a CMON game, it's more than that. It's like, yeah, something ridiculously large. Uh, <laughs> and, and you have to have that to make that happen. Conversely, you're going to see more and more people trying to make games, folks who want to do things that a little bit looser are, they're going to end up in role-playing probably, they might end up in sort of con games first, like a game that they designed for a convention to be played. Like everybody's been to Gen Con and seen the Aliens game that's played with giant Barbies and you know, G.I. Joes and actual alien figures, right? Yep. Yeah, if you get a chance, you should play mine, which is called uh, Battle Beast, uh, Ultimate Toy Combat. Uh, I ran it on a, uh, the last Adepticon. It's hysterical. So you're going to see that going on a little bit, too. I would love somebody to sculpt or get the original files for Battle Beast so that I could have other people come and bring armies. Uh, yeah, that would be super fun. Does that answer the question, Owen? I feel like it does, but I'm old guy spinning off. You got me past my No, bedtime. no, that, that, that's <laughs> awesome. You're kind of hitting on is that, you know, like, board gamers that seems to be a little bit more ex excitement for the 3d printing because it makes certain things a lot more accessible it makes prototyping more accessible and a higher quality whereas you know what we've typically seen from a lot of mini war gamers especially on the company side of thing is there's kind of a a little bit of hesitation because minis is what makes a lot of the miniature game companies money you know BattleTech seems to be for a long time, the exception to the rule of, you know, you make you make a game, but you make your money off the models. You don't make your money off the rules. And if it becomes a thing where someone can just print their own models, it might be a, a, a much different marketplace and a new kind of like financial model. Yeah, for miniature games, there's the, those hybrid role-playing miniature games, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a real sweet spot for those where you just publish the book and then you can use any of the set of the models to go with it and then it has a certain amount of gameplay. There's, a, I mean, indie role-playing games, There, there's an argument by Magpie that we are in the golden age of uh, role-playing games, fifth edition being the best version of D&D ever, which is probably true. Uh, I play, still play 3.5, but 5th edition is really good. Uh, also, like indie, uh, like indie RPGs that are meant to be picked up and played in two hours. Like approachable, immersive, fun, but they, they take the level of commitment you used to have to have to do two RPGs out of the way. So I think for your print-and-play audience for 3D printing, we're going to see that be the case. Like, you know, you like Battletech, for example, like I can still get excited about a Mech Warrior campaign. I really can. All right. So, Sabi, I know you mentioned Battletech, but do you have a uh, favorite Dead War game? 
Yeah, and it depends on what you consider to be a war game or a miniatures game. Are all miniature games war games? Are all war <laughs> games miniature games? Uh, like, there's an argument like Sixth Fleet is a war game, but not a miniatures game, right? But as far as games that I would go out of my way to play, Mordheim is really good. Or if you were going to talk about hybrid dead role-playing games. I have a soft spot for the first people to like really get the dungeon crawl game all in one box, which is Mutant Chronicles Siege of the Citadel. Have you guys ever played this? No, but it's funny because we were just talking about this. Someone actually has a new in-box copy at their game store. They were asking if we were interested in. So I might actually, uh, might take Shay up on that offer to check it out. (laughs) It is, um, have you played Descent or Imperial Assault? I've played Descent, yeah. All right, so you could see when you play Moon Chronicles, you could see everything FFG wanted to have happen and what they lifted from Siege of the Citadel. That game is crazy. Yeah, there's a reason that, you know, chronologically one came on after the other one did. Yeah, uh, I make a, a real argument that all the dungeon crawl games at this point have some connection to Chronicles Siege of the Citadel. That, that game's... Huh. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's 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 yeah. I'm I i do not know if I haven't played it in a decade or two, but I would. The world is really weird. It had that movie that came out not too long ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Yeah, it's I, I was gonna say before anyone goes and actually looks up that movie, we did we actually we did an episode with uh, Brian Steele because they're bringing Warzone the minis game back out. It's gonna have a new edition with a new company with uh, Brian doing uh, the bulk of the design work there. And as we were talking game mechanics and we were talking about the things coming across, and Brian was, like, letting us in on this universe, which is a pretty interesting, like, really cool universe. I was like, oh, man, I remember there was a movie about this. I'm going to go watch this movie because I'm super excited about this conversation we have with Brian. It was... Like, I, I had the day off. I th- Like, I took a, a vacation day. Like, I'm going to make the most of this vacation day. I, like, I should have went to work. Um, work probably would have been better than the Mutant Chronicles movie. It is uh, that bad. It's, um, so, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. It's, yeah. I was going to red belt your entire audience. It's fantastic. <laughs> no, can't, can't, can't let you do it. But as, as far as you know, the Mutant Chronicles board game, you know, um, I hear I hear interesting things about it. And as far as the universe goes, it definitely seems to be a very cool universe. So I'm, I, I'm sh- I assume that somebody has probably made a tabletop simulator mod version of it. Hmm. Yeah, they probably shouldn't have. It's probably somebody else's IP, and they're not allowed to. But I would guess that somebody has. <laughs> yeah. But I have really strong uh, ties to the ga- that game in it in the late '90s, and then Descent happened, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then so <laughs> Descent was its own thing too. You know, you're like, it was a weird time then too. You're like, these are made out of plastic. Can you paint paint plastic? <laughs> that was a real question at that time, right? I, I just remember getting Descent and being like, wow, this is, like, good. Like, I thought this was going to be HeroQuest, but th- th- this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a reason why. They're like, hey, you know you can't copyright board game mechanics. Yoink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying they did that, but I am 
not not saying it. I don't know. As 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 everyone lets the slight like slight of uh, hero quest pass, um, everyone knows where to send the hate mail to Owen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, if you ever played the original Twilight Imperium, the first edition, you realize that was just Axis and allies in space. You, it really was. Even down to the dice, it was. And it's grown and changed since then, but it was Axis and Allies in space. I, I did not play the original Twilight Imperium, so I... You're so young, that's why! You're such a baby! <laughs> a cute, cute baby! <laughs> oh, I'm talking about stories in the 90s. Yay! <laughs> hey, man, I was like six in the beginning of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, anywho, is there a dead board game out there that you wish that more people knew about? Mordheim, I love Mordheim. People, like, oh my gosh, you play whole warbands of Sisters of Battle, you play whole warbands of Skaven, you know, it's 8 to 12 miniatures, it's pretty quick, terrain mattered, injuries mattered in a very Blood Bowl sort of sense. Yeah, I ran multiple, like, league campaigns, like a Blood Bowl league, you can have the, the, the warbands fight each other in sort of way and take objectives and have city maps uh, and then have a grand championship based on who, t- who ends up seizing control of Mordheim, the city. Uh, yeah, it's good. I think it's better than uh, Necromunda because it's less shooty. I think that would be my argument. Uh, yeah, I have nothing but positive memories, even losing terribly for Mordheim. Absolutely excellent. So we uh, obviously encourage people to check all that out. And obviously, we're hopefully getting to the end of this pandemic. A lot of conventions now are setting up solid dates. And it's no longer a like, ah, kind of up in the air. Maybe this happens. Maybe this doesn't. It's a lot more of this. This is our date. Come and make it out. Um, I do highly, highly suggest um, when you're in the process of getting back out to conventions and enjoying yourself, uh, making the time to find Seppi uh, in between or after tournaments um and have them teach in person um i think uh learning his games in person are definitely even more fun than the game itself um he is a very entertaining kind of uh uh community organizer (laughs) i'm just gonna take that as a positive thing and, and we're just gonna go with that now owen you said you live in columbus i'm gonna be there with sovereignty in uh for origins Oh, this nice. year. Yeah, so if you're going to show up, let me know now that Chris has ratted you out and we're Facebook associates <laughs> uh, that you come and play um, uh, any of the games, so forth and whatnot. Um, a- yeah, absolutely. Man. We'll do. I think uh, Greg from uh, Dust USA would uh, probably hunt me down. I didn't show up to Origins, so uh, yeah, I uh, unless I am traveling for work or have some other ridiculous personal reason for not being there, I will, uh, I will be there. Work is so ridiculous, so ridiculous. All right, did we get through all the questions? Did, have I failed you? Have I failed the city? <laughs> is there anything else you want to give a shout out to? This was recorded during May. I grew up in Detroit during the last outbreak of Asian hate crime. Uh, so when it happened here, uh, again, during the pandemic, we're doing a small thing called Asians in the Industry. If uh, media people like your, your, yourself or other media people that you know in gaming want to see who is Asian and working on the games that they like or whatever to help raise visibility 
so people know that you know folks of all various backgrounds are help bringing their fun and that fun can bring us all together that would be great and it is uh asian american pacific islander heritage month so those are the things probably i want to shout out fantastic cool all right this has uh, been chris this is owen i'm seppi <laughs> thanks for ch- tuning in Music for Cyborg is CD Nightclub 1930s by Astrofeet, used with the Pixabay license. If you like what you hear, please like or subscribe or check out our Discord. Peace! I got my start kind of doing more wargaming stuff other than just kind of being a community organizer by working for Muse on Minis. And the first show I ever did was TempleCon... I believe that was 2016. So uh, I was invited up by Muse on Minis and I got there, you know, and at at my time, you know, I had not really worked a convention before. I'd run tournaments, but I hadn't really done the wake up early and be a vendor thing. So I went in with one expectation and John and Seppi, uh, who I was introduced to at the show, you know, we all get into the room. Um, it's like, all right, so like, you know, we got our booth set up, we got you and we ate dinner time, you know, time to go. So I go into my bag and I pull out like a bottle of vodka, a case of beer, some mixers, I think some chips. And I turn around, Seppi and John are both in bed, like sheets up with their laptops out doing work. (laughs) 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 And I kind of like look around and immediately felt judged for like being an alcoholic. like, uh, oh no, well, we were just jealous. We're like, I've got to do all these things, and now I'm I'm old and I must sleep. But yeah, I was just like, uh, hmm. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. I guess I this I honestly this was one of the several moments that happened that weekend where I was like, I I guess I better make the most of this because this is the last show I'm ever going to get to work for Muse. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which to this day I'm still surprised it wasn't. Um. was i gonna say no i i i really enjoy um i 